The following episode contains explicit language, descriptions of sexual activity, and references to porn. Listener's discretion is advised. Hi there, this is Dani, and welcome back to Season 3 of the podcast, What Are You Going to Do With That? Our first guest of Season 3 is porn researcher Fanosh Mazadarani. And as you'll be able to hear... Our conversation was so interesting that we decided to make it into a special two-part episode. Both parts are published together, so when you finish listening to this one, you can directly continue with the second. Are you ready for this? Here we go! Hi there, and a very warm welcome to the new and third season of the podcast, What Are You Going To Do With That?, After a short break, we have prepared a new lineup of early career researchers for you. I am Dani, your host, and I will be chatting with them about their academic journeys to learn from their struggles and successes. This podcast is brought to you by the Minerva Center for the Rule of Law under Extreme Conditions at the University of Haifa. And together with producer Ido, we're going to make a great new season, kicking off with Vanos Mazandarani. I hope I am saying that right. Oh, you're close. It's it's Farnoosh Mazandarani. But for Farnoosh most part... Mazandarani, yeah. okay. Farnoosh Mazandarani, yeah. But for the most part, people could call me just Farnoosh Mazandarani. It makes it a lot easier. It's, I've lived my life. People call me that. Okay, I'm gonna try. We'll <laughs> see how far we can get. All right, then I'll continue. Uh, Farnoosh? Farnoosh. 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 That's easier. I don't know why I was making it harder. Okay. So she was in charge of what was and was not allowed to be shown on MTV. And today she is doing her PhD that is a content analysis of sexual partner familiarity in popular pornography. But before Farnosh will explain to us what researchers can learn from porn, I would like to invite you to check out our podcast social media accounts on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, where you get to connect with us and our guests. For more tips and tricks, go to the blog on our website and our YouTube channel. We'd love to hear from you. So now, let me introduce you to the first guest of Season 3, Farnoosh Mazandarani, got her BA in Entertainment Studies from California State University Fullerton, after which she worked for MTV and Disney, where she was involved in what would be okay to air and what wouldn't be. Disney then helped fund her MA in Mass Communication, also at California State University Fullerton. During her MA, she researched sexualized media and its influence on millennial perceptions about their personal sex lives. Following her master's, she was accepted at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill to do her PhD. And the title of her PhD currently is A Longitudinal Content Analysis of Relationship Dynamics in Popular Pornography from the Golden Age to the Internet Age, that is 1970 to 2020. All right, welcome Farnosh. I'm Hi. so excited. So excited about this season. No, I'm even more excited. <laughs> and also to have you here. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good and I'm excited and I'm really excited to be able to talk to you. That's great. Yeah, we're all excited. So that's a good start of a new season. And I brought with me a little tiny bottle of my regular drink, my amaretto. It's very cute. What are you having? Um, well, I'm actually drinking coffee. It's my morning coffee of the day. But it's really funny because I actually never drank coffee 
up and I all my life said, I'm not going to drink coffee until I work on my dissertation. I need coffee for my dissertation. So I will save it until I start my dissertation. And all through my dissertation, it's been like my bread and butter. I need coffee every day to be able to get uh, the energy to be able to continue. Cheers then. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. Okay. To get started, I got a few short questions for you. Okay. So the first one I got is, what can you not do without in the morning? What can I not do without in the morning? So uh, I have set up a routine for me to get to start writing in the morning. And one of the main things I need to do is I need to um, start my brain before I get to my computer to work on my disc. And so what I do is I have to play at least one round of Magic the Gathering, where it's a card game that my husband introduced me to. And it's uh, when we first started dating like 10 years ago. And it takes complex like uh, pathway, like you just have to plan attacks and stuff like that. It's very similar to like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! where it's a card game. And I play it on a digital online version and it helps me wake up and start do pro- start doing morning problem solving. So I have to do at least one like game, which is best of three before I can sit down and work on my dissertation. So usually I have a cup of coffee in the morning and I play Magic the Gathering and then I work on my dissertation. All right, that's nice. You should share that app later with me so I can try it out too. It's fun, but at the same time, like, I've dedicated so many hours to this game. Mainly, <laughs> my husband's never been happier. He's <laughs> like, oh, yay, we get to be able to talk about this game that you, I've been trying to get you introduced, like, in, like, involved in. But I just never liked playing it with people. I like playing it by myself. <laughs> it's really fun. It, once they launched it on a digital platform, it's been uh, really helpful with my waking up and then getting my brain going and problem solving like in time. Okay, sounds like a good idea. Thanks for sharing. My next question is, where would you picture your dream home to be? Oh, uh, Los Angeles. I I was born and raised in LA. I am a California girl, like through and through. So my magical world, like where I would want to live, like where my dream house would be or what my dream house would be. Either way. So it would be probably somewhere that is close or right in the middle of where all of my family lives. We're all in different corners of Los Angeles and Orange County. So if I could be like, in the middle where I have equal access to all of my family, um, that would be honestly like my dream. Just that I can be able to be the house that everybody congregates to in the middle. It's the least amount of travel time mm-hmm. for everybody. And then I could be the one that like has all the parties and all the uh, Thanksgivings and all that sort of <laughs> stuff where I can host people and constantly have a full house. So it's not necessarily where I want the house to be, which I mean, I love California, but I would mainly want it where – it's a house where it's situated where I could have the most amount of people in it at any given time. <laughs> that sounds like a very warm house, regardless of the fact of being in California, also with family and friends and all the hosting. Sounds good to me. Oh, yeah, because I was raised with the concept. My mother has always talked about how um, the wider the doors to your home, the wider the gates to heaven. So she's always been like, if people 
need a place to stay or if we need to set that up for people to give them a good jump off point or something to that extent. Like she was always very welcoming and open and it has made me much more comfortable with hosting and having people over. Hopefully after this, I can make enough money to have a house big enough to host a lot Mm -hmm. of people as opposed to this one bedroom apartment that I'm living in. But uh, yeah, that's the, that's the future plan. Sounds like a great lesson by mom. Yeah, I love her. <laughs> I'll keep her. <laughs> Pretty stoked. Yes, that's a keeper. <laughs> All right. Next one is, what is your favorite playlist or what do you listen to while you're driving? Um, I actually am not a huge fan of music. Oh, I know that's, it's crazy. A lot of people don't like that when I say something like that, mainly because, um, I research media. That's what I do. And something that I was really interested in before I got into my research subject, I was really interested in this theory called mood management theory. And it talks about how you can use different forms of media to influence your mood. Like if you are sad, you might put on a sad movie to really get those tears coming out of your face, right? You really want to cry. You really want to emote. And the more I learned about these these sorts of theories, these media effects theories, the more I'm realizing that music compared to like other things influences me the most. So like I'll drive or something and listen to a song and I'm weeping and I'm like, I didn't even want to cry. <laughs> what am, I, what am oh. I doing here? And so like I actually try my hardest to unless if it's a specific moment or something I really want to listen to, I rarely listen to music if I can help it. I usually have a pretty quiet car or the occasional audiobook or podcast okay. where people are talking and they're not influencing my mood, but I'm learning <laughs> something in the process. I'm just in a constant state of being like, what can I learn today? I'm wasting time driving. So let's learn about this historical thing through an audiobook or this podcast that's teaching me about this random person from history. Talking about learning and also having mentioned that you already studied media and that's most of your research uh, involves media. You started with a BA and then you went to industry where you worked at uh, Disney and at MTV and then you went back to school to continue with an MA. So how did that happen? Yeah. So, um, I always, first of all, I always want, I love school. <laughs> it's what I like. I think it's great. Um, I love learning. I am a constant questioner. I constantly question, why is this happening? Which was one of the reasons why I got into the industry to begin with, because I worked in standards and practices where the whole job is questioning what was on the screen, what they were filming, why they were filming that, what was the point of it? Is it appropriate and is it inappropriate? Does it, could it influence people in this way, that way, what have you? And I initially got the job at, um, at Viacom and working with specifically MTV in their standards and practices department. And after that, I actually just, I knew I was going to go back to college at some point or another. Because I was raised by first-generation Americans. Both my mother and my father um, claimed asylum in the United States. And then my mother was nine months pregnant when she came to the United States. And I was born. And I've always been so grateful because I grew up watching my two immigrant parents who have high school at best, if that, um, 
try to succeed and working their frigid butts off, right? And I'm over here being like, I am going to be a doctor for you. Like, I am going to be everything that you wished that you were able to reach. Like, I want to be everything that my mom would, with her uh, intelligence and her know-how and her, like, gumption, the only thing that was in her, that stopped her was that everything was in her way. And I wanted to, like, be the embodiment of, like, what she could have done if just the this the path was open and she was able to do it. And so for me, even though I'd gotten my job in the industry, I was like, oh, I'm not going to stop until I'm the best. I'm going to keep going. And in my mind, my main goal was like, okay, I want to, not only do I want to work for MTV and their standards and practices, but I want to end up doing so well in this that I get involved in legislation to work with the FCC for the whole like country of the United States. Like that's my main goal here. So like once I ended up working for MTV and then I ended up going, it went from Viacom into the MTV and then I jumped over to Nickelodeon working on Fairly Odd Parents and Tough Puppy. I ended up going to Disney because I was like, that's an even larger company. It's a conglomerate. I could really learn the ins and outs from there. And I wanted to end up going and becoming a manager, a senior manager. And I was told that I ended up finding out that most of the people that are at a higher rank when it comes to the to the government work, not necessarily within the industry, but going into the FCC. It was mostly lawyers, people that had JDs or people who had PhDs or um, people who had a high level of knowledge about not just the industry, but also academia and research. And they were doing their own personal research in some of the cases as well. So I was like, all right, so I want to qualify. So I guess I'm going to need to get a master's degree. And I found out that Disney offers this um master's funding and I was like awesome I'll take that but then I ended up once I got back to school from working at Disney I was like oh I love it why am I I want to keep going they're not going to fund me to keep going so I have to make a choice do I go back to Disney and try my hardest to raise in the ranks there or do I get to the doctorate and then try a different path to get to being that person <laughs> tries to do as much as possible. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, that was once I went back into the classroom, I remembered how much I loved and missed it. And then I was like, oh, I want to take this to the end. I want to become the doctor that I initially always wanted to be. In my head, mm -hmm. I always wanted to become a doctor. It was just a what path was I going to end up taking? And once I found that path, I was like, oh, I want to I want to go down that path. <laughs> That's interesting that you're saying. And you also put a lot of responsibility on your own shoulders, right? Because I'm not sure if your mom ever asked you to become a doctor for her. It's no. probably something you put onto yourself, right? And that's something that I relate a little bit to. My family weren't necessarily uh, asylum seekers or refugees, but I am a fifth generation migrant, which, me which means that in a direct line, five generations back for me, including myself, we're all living in a different country than we were born in. Yeah. So there's this, yeah. And I'm the first one also going to university and getting a PhD degree. And I also feel like, wow, like I'm doing this thing that maybe other people in my family would have also wanted to do and were capable to do, but they weren't able to do it because of everything that happened in their lives. So that's an extra motivation for me to buckle up and <laughs> keep pushing. 
Yeah, 100%. Also, it, first of all, it's an abstract, right? You're kind of putting words in their mouth like they want me to succeed, right? But mm-hmm. it's also such an honor. It's not a burden at that point. When you think of it as I'm the first generation on both sides of my family that also isn't in an arranged marriage. And my mother was the first generation of being a teen bride and every generation before that they were child brides. And like my grandmother got married when she was 14 years old and my great grandmother got married when she was nine. And the only reason why she got married at nine was because she was a little bit too young to get married at six. Like it was (laughs) one of those scenarios where like I have seen these generations of women behind me and just even for some reason, the the message that was given to me as a child where I got to have a choice of who I wanted to marry and when I wanted to marry and how long I could take and who I, I could choose whoever it was and I could, I don't know, the freedom of that gave me that motivation where it was kind of like an honor where it's like, I'll show you what you've done for me. Like, I'll show you how well I could be able to get. Like, like I mentioned before, it was like the only thing that kept them from being as successful and as incredible and as memorable as they were was because of just life getting in their way. And I wanted to kind of be a representation of one of the steps of the path being a little bit clearer and what occurs with a person like me with the family that I've had and the generations before me. This is what would have happened with the women in my families if they just had people get out of their friggin' way. Wow. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so like, and then, I mean, and there's so many stories that I've I've heard from not just my mother, grandmother, great grandmother, et cetera, et cetera, but just like stories of scenarios where they have, in some cases, straight up being illiterate. Straight, like I am, both my grandmother, my grandfather were also my on my father's side were illiterate for quite for the most of for the entirety of the life of my grandfather, most of the life of my grandmother, and. Even in scenarios where they didn't have that kind of opportunity and option, the amount of like scenarios where everything, like the men, (laughs) I guess, who I love. Mm -hmm. I love my grandfather. I love all the men from my family as well. But like where something, a ball was dropped, something occurred where, uh, I don't know, cholera came into the town or something like that, where the women of my family picked themselves up by their bootstraps and then were able to purchase land and from their measly 10 cents every day saving on the side and having that as their safe uh, haven were able to save the whole family multiple times and so I'm trying to like and even in this scenario where like when my mother and my father came to the United States, it was expected that my mother was going to be a uh, a housewife. Like that was what she was raised to become. And then she got here and it was a scenario where they realized that no matter how much my father worked, him having a high school education and um, he's he was incredibly kind and incredible. I love my father, but like he working alone was not going to make enough to 
sustain the family for both like for a family of four so my mother went into the workforce and then once she got a taste she's like oh (laughs) purpose oh like oh uh she didn't realize that she's actually a workaholic (laughs) and she loves it and she's been doing like all this incredible personal work that went from the ground up and it's her it's what gets her out of bed in the morning and I learned from that like oh it she gets out of bed in the morning she hops out of bed in the morning excited to take on the day to make money (laughs) and to do stuff that her mother wasn't able to do and her mother before that weren't able to do not that they couldn't they weren't Mm -hmm. allowed to and she's like i'll freaking show you and i am her on crack (laughs) like i'm 10 times harder and she watches that like hell yeah that's what i raised because my mother repeatedly says i raise lions that's what I raised. I raised lions. Like, and anytime something is an issue or a problem, if I come to her and I'm crying because this dissertation is hard and I don't know what to do and, or I'm tired and the workload is so much. And she's all like, well, why are you so upset? You know, you were raised to be a lion. You've got this. (laughs) So what's the issue? And I'm like, oh snap. She's right. This is only like a one day (laughs) issue. I will get through this and go to the next one. And it's it's uh, incredibly motivating and at the same time, a little bit terrifying, right? Because I don't have that example of what I could right. become, but I know I'm going to get there. I know it's like, I will never stop. I will never, like as soon as I reach a goal, because when I ended up getting my job at MTV, I thought I achieved my dream. I thought I got my dream job. This was where I was at. This was my goal that I wanted to have. I wanted to be the person that blurred out the genitalia, bleeped out the curse words on all the popular TV shows. And I was getting paid a good amount of money to do so. And after I hit it, I was like, okay, so then what's next? All right, so I guess I'm going to get my master's. Okay, what's next? I guess I want to get my doctorate. Okay, what's next? All right, so I'm going to do, like, it's just a nonstop, like, rip roar and ride that I will it's what gets me out of bed in the morning maybe that's the thing I need to make sure that I always wake up in the morning and I hop out and run to my next like goal you just need to think of all that motivation and freedom that you have to do what you want to reach that goal out there um and that's what you did so you thought you reached your goal with MTV but you got an opportunity Mm -hmm. to do an MA and you did that um, and you worked in on the research also during your MA, which was called, like I said earlier, the millennial perceptions of pornographic media realism and influence on relationship assessment. Yeah. So with all the freedom and motivation you had and coming from MTV, how did you choose this topic? And another thing that I was interested in, because this is a bit of an academic podcast and we talk about mm-hmm. research and academia, how was your research topic received by professors or supervisors is academia open and ready for these topics oh no not at all (laughs) so okay um so i was working at disney i was working on disney channel specifically and i was helping in the launch of disney junior we were talking about the content that was going to be on it and in the process i got to witness a lot of um in-house work that was done to be able to gauge something as um, 
overly sexual or an innuendo or what can be considered risque, right? That's going to be put on Disney Channel. And one of the great things, oh my goodness, it was just so great to be able to work there because I learned so much about the inner workings of the entertainment industry. And one of the things I got to learn from that is how subjective it was, how something that was considered taboo one day was not considered taboo the next day. Or if something that wasn't considered taboo on one day, something occurred in the news and then all of a sudden it was incredibly taboo. And we needed to, under our job in standards and practices was to be that voice. Like we are the people. What do we think is okay and not okay that can be put on? If we are Disney and I am somebody who is a parent that I want my child to watch this show on this channel. How can I make somebody feel comfortable that they know that what they're going to see, what they think about Disney is what they're going to end up getting, right? Right. By learning what was bad, I got to know how to make sure that it was good. And (laughs) in the process, I had learned so many undertones (laughs) of these sexual things that I had no clue about. I was a very nerdy child. Like oh my. I, my idea of being like a uh, a rebel was like I was going to the late night comedy shows that started at 11 and ended at two, <laughs> in, like one or two in the morning. And I was like, I got permission from my parents, but they didn't know I was coming home at one. Like that was my idea of being like a rebel. And so Once I got into college and everybody was talking about pornography and sex and things like that, I was like, what, what is, what are you talking about? What is this? And like, it felt as though it was like a party I wasn't invited to. And so if Mm -hmm. if, in a scenario where it feels like it's a party you weren't invited to, you all of a sudden get this compulsion where you're like, well, what was happening at this party? What was everybody wearing? What what were they drinking? What kind of cups did they have? What color were the cups like? And that's how I ended up becoming fascinated by pornography and the content and what was happening because apparently everybody was watching this and I had no clue and I felt like I've been missing out on this social thing in our society that I was apparently way behind on. So I needed to catch up. Mm -hmm. And when I was working at Disney, I ended up catching up like, what are some sexual innuendo things that I need to take into account? What are some things I need to understand? Once I got into my master's program, I initially wanted to start researching cartoons because that was what I worked on at Nickelodeon and went later at Disney, my whole life was being surrounded by cartoons. So I was interested in how animation, especially adult animation, and how it's essentially like for, it's like childish, but for adults, right? Right. And how that influenced people. And then I realized that like, I was bored. (laughs) And there's actually a very funny story. Can I get into, want to hear the story about how? Of course, please do. So I went camping with a friend, with a now ex-boyfriend, but a boyfriend at the time, I went camping with him and we went to this national park and we were across the way with this other couple across the fire. And the conversation between my boyfriend this and this heterosexual couple and the boyfriend of that couple were talking and the conversation went to into pornography. And the girl across the way from me was starting to get really irritated. And I was like, What's happening? Why is she getting so mad? 
And then she started having a bit of a fight, um, like getting angry about it's ex- that they're talking about pornography, that they're even having this conversation. It's like 11 o'clock at night <laughs> uh, at this national park. And then all of a sudden it gets so freaking heated that the girlfriend ends up lunging at her boyfriend and starts physically fighting him and they have to get physically separated. And I remember being so like, I spent the entire night like looking at the top of the tent being like, how did this seemingly innocuous conversation get to the point where this girl who clearly must love her boyfriend is on a trip with him, right? will lunge and scratch at his face because she's so furious at this media product, right? Like, what is it about this that made somebody so angry? I wanted to know everything about that. And I ended up going to um, my advisor during my master's program being like, why? (laughs) What is it about this that made this woman so friggin' angry? Is it because it influences them? And I ended up diving into... Um, Dolph Zillman and Jennings Bryant, who were these two researchers um, that did a lot of their pornography work uh, in the late 1980s, around 88, up until around 91, before they ended up giving up because the, like what you mentioned before, like what you asked was, is it, is there problems with, are people ready for it? And the, mm-hmm. it's a great quote that I have from Zillman that talks about how he well, he refuses to research erotica ever again because of how much death threats he was getting and how wow. often he was being yelled at. And it got to the point where uh, Jennings Bryant and Dolph Zillman were threatened so much. Once it ended up becoming um, an issue where their children were being threatened with rape and uh, and kidnapping and things like that and death that they decided to never touch it again. And it was easier for Dolph Zillman to later research horror like horror films ended up becoming a lot easier for him than researching actual pornography because of how much hate they got and that was back in late 80s early 90s and so I ended up going well we're evolved now like it's (laughs) okay I'm Hmm. I'm in California I'm doing this master's thesis here at Cal State Fullerton I'm not getting much guff I didn't have an issue when I was at Cal State Fullerton and it wasn't until I interviewed at UNC, the first thing that when I was being interviewed, the first thing out of one of the interviewer's mouth was, I just want to let you know that if you do get accepted here, I'm not going to work with you. Wow. Because I don't believe in your subject. I don't like it. I'm morally against its existence. And I can't be your advisee, like your advisor. And I just was like, because I'm being interviewed, right? I'm like, that's totally all right. <laughs> I don't mind. Thank you so much for your consideration. Um, and I'm going to keep talking about why I want to research what I research. But if any time I've had somebody be angry, I it only motivates me more to go, why? Why are you mad at me? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not making it. I'm not like... I'm not in it. I'm not touting its positive effects or something. I'm just fascinated by it. What the hell is everybody so mad about? Why does everybody have opinion about something? An opinion about something that also nobody talks about. Right. It's, it's so fast. It was, it's absolutely fascinating to me. And every time I've had a scenario where, yes, I, 
I have been yelled at. I have been, uh, I've had scenarios where at conferences now, my advisor sits in on my conference um, lectures specifically because there have been scenarios where people have just taken over my panel discussions to yell at me and my advisor will get up and go, this conversation is over. Uh, we're leaving. <laughs> it's just not happening. Um, wow, that's shocking that all of those things happened in the past and it is still happening today because we are in 2021, almost 2022. Yeah. But it's good to hear that your supervisor at least has your back. Oh, my supervisor, her name is Dr. Francesca Dillman Carpentier. She's incredible. She's one of the... She is one of those people that whether or not she understands it, whether or not she cares about it, whether or not it's her, because she doesn't research it. She does not research <laughs> pornography. She researches media effects, um, which is why I was connected with her. Mm -hmm. But the whole reason why I went to her and I really liked her was because she was an advisee of Dolph Zillman. And that's how I connected with her. Cause I was like, I'm a big fangirl of your advisor. And she's like, I've never done a porn study. I, uh, she mainly, she did some, uh, horror research okay. with Dolph Zillman. And then she did, uh, did mood management theory and work with music, uh, especially with, and also with priming and how that you, something that you are exposed to, it's like the first thing that comes up in your head if you've been primed with that certain information. But, um, she did, is very good at, I don't understand it. I don't know. It's not really my interest, but I will defend your desire and need to research this to the best of my ability as long as I'm your advisor. And it's been a great, um, it was a great choice, a match made in friggin' heaven because I feel safe at that point. And I definitely have never, because of my research, I've never gotten death threats, but I'm also not that far into my um, into my career yet. But even so, I just feel as though if I, I'm very lucky because I did have a talk with my family. I, I When I decided that this was the path I was going to go on, I sat my family down and I sat my husband down and I talked to them going, are you going to be okay if this is something that I research? Are you going to be okay if I get... Um, somebody saying something harsh about my existence to mm -hmm. you or to my husband or if somebody threatens my husband like that I would do anything like this are you going to be okay and once my family had luck I'm very very supported and very blessed with that that they were like we've got this as long as you do what you need to do we're okay with it we'll back you 100% I mean, at first they were like, please don't be the porn lady. And then once I was like, I want to be the porn lady, they're like, we got it. We're going to help you out. And so it wasn't that big of an issue. But I prepped them as well as as much as I prepped myself to go into this industry. And it's happened. It's occurred. I doubt that it's the last time it's going to occur, it, it, especially because my research desire is not uh, qualitative or interpretive of the messages that are provided in the media, but just what is there, the representations, what is present and not there. Um, and something about me not taking a stand or me not acknowledging that there are stands that are involved 
like that there are power dynamics and things like that. My lack of mentioning those things when the whole point of my work is to just set up this foundation of what is there. Uh, I get a lot of pushback. It's like, why don't you have a stand? And then if I do have a stand, it's like, why don't you have this stand? <laughs> why not this one? And it ends up becoming a, um, what's the word for it? Like a, a, a no win game at that point. Mm-hmm. So I just go through my own stuff. It's never good enough. But what I wanted to ask you is like, what did you explain to them about your research? And what could you tell me as someone who's not from media or that field of research? What is your research about? So my research, the motivation and what I do and why I'm doing it is because I had realized over by being so in the dark, right? And I wanted to learn everything that I possibly could about this uh, this social thing that was going on that apparently everybody knew about except for me. And it was kind of like this thing that everybody just understood that everybody knew about. And somebody like me who's a like my head's in the clouds and I just missed it, <laughs> right? Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't, the more I read about it, the more I realized that the reach, the consumption, the ubiquity, like it is everywhere, everywhere. It has been influencing our entire society. Pornography has been viewed so frequently, so much more than any other type of mass media ever (laughs) to the point where like it. Even if you have never seen pornography, you have been influenced by it. Even if you have never even heard about it, it got to the point where I realized that my lack of knowledge about, or my, as a teen or what have you, not seeking out pornography to learn from it or to understand what's going on in our sex lives, uh, I still was influenced. I still was influenced on what is considered sexy, how to move through the world to be a uh, a sexually enticing person. or And if I was going to engage in some kind of courting behavior that could lead to a sexual type of behavior, not necessarily what I was doing, but what somebody was doing to me or sh- trying to uh, make the moves on me or something to that extent it was likely influenced by this content I didn't even know was that as important as it was. And so I was interested in real life, like the more I talk to, because I'm a very talkative person, the more I talk to people about it, and the more I told them that the reason why I'm talking to them about it is because I've been researching it, the more I heard from people about how much this content was integral in them learning um, their own personal, like uh, their own personal sexual scripts. I, I want to try to say it without it being too uh, too salacious, but for the most part, you when you're younger, going through adolescence, you're having this kind of self discovery time. Most people do, not all people, but a lot of people do that around the adolescence when you. Um, are discovering yourself, you are confused and questioning and wondering, okay, what is, what is it? (laughs) Like what's going on and what is sex and how can I, how am I feeling these ways and what does that entail? And 
especially in the United States where it is taboo, the concept of it being like, oh, it's bad. It's a bad thing, right? We don't talk about it because it's bad. So then people will seek out that information regardless. If they're curious, people will seek out information. And for the most part, most people seek out pornography as a means of seeing sex. I just want to see it. What is it? Like everybody sings about it, talks about it, poses in magazines to try to emulate it, um, have do all of these things that are all sex adjacent. So what is sex? Why is everybody alluding to it? I just want to see it. So you go and then you Google S-E-X. Most kids just go porn or something, right? And then (laughs) they pull it up and they'll watch it. And I, I was interested in what is it about this content that not only what is it about this content that's enticing, that's not really up for question, but what is it about this content that is teaching these adolescents who are confused? And then what is it that they're learning that makes them go, okay, I I know what it is now, right? I, I know sex mm-hmm. now. And my whole path of career choice on this, my research path on this is, first of all, what is in it? What is in pornography that everybody apparently is seeing, right? And not just what is in it, but are people learning from it? And if they are learning from it, what are they learning? And so my main interest was, what are adolescents learning from pornography? But then once I got into the research, I realized that it's so under-researched because of it being so taboo and there are so many um, scary like things that can occur from researching something like this that... Um, Mm -hmm. there's not that many people who go into researching the actual content, which by the way, it's not as though like I, every time I tell somebody, especially a guy that I research pornography, the first sentence out of their mouth is, well, I'm somewhat of a porn scholar myself. And I'm like, thanks, dude. Great. (laughs) Thanks, man. Yeah. (laughs) Love it. Glad to know that your 20 years of pornography consumption equates to my 10 years of pornography research and scientific study and rep anyway regardless I'm sorry I didn't want to complain right in the middle but (laughs) I'm so glad you said that (laughs) (laughs) but like I can only imagine it is literally if I I wish I was joking maybe probably it does not matter the age it doesn't matter what the setting I've had people talk to me about this at academic that that they say that exact same sentence at conferences, at restaurants, in front of my mother, in front of my three-year-old niece, in front of it does not matter. That is the thing that they'll go. So because it's 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 the taboo thing that nobody is allowed to talk about. And then I will say, this is what I research, and they go, finally somebody I could talk to about this. I've been thinking about this all of my life. Holy crap, can we talk about this thing? Let me tell you about all, and especially, they don't even necessarily want to know the depth where, again, like what you asked, what I look into is because it's so under-researched, my interest was what are adolescents learning from with pornography consumption? And then I realized that nobody asks the question of, it rarely is asked of, 
what is in pornography to begin with? <laughs> like there's not that many content analyses where they analyze the content. Most people that do research on pornography, they analyze the content from a qualitative perspective. This is what we are seeing. These are the dynamics that are occurring. It's There's not very many, especially into the internet age, of what is even there, what is actually being exhibited, mainly because... It's really difficult to gather a sample, right? Pornography is so ubiquitous. Regardless of whatever study that you can be able to do, you're not going to get a generalizable sample. It is so vast. <laughs> like one in four Google searches wow. is for pornographic content. You One in four searches is for sex. How can I gather, how much of my life will I need to dedicate just to gather the sample to, that's necessary to be able to wow. make it a representable, a generalizable sample? So the best that I was able to do is, okay, well, I'll research specifically popular pornography. Popular pornography meaning that it was in the top most viewed content of the year that it was released and then even that, it was so ubiquitous, I couldn't even gather enough for that to be generalizable. So I was like, all right, por pornography, yes, okay, big, we're going to try to narrow it. Popular pornography, okay, we're going to narrow it. by the, In the year that it was released, okay, that's a little bit mm -hmm. narrowed. All right, in the year that it was released in only the United States. <laughs> so like that is how narrow I needed to look at it just so I can be able to show what was on these most popular, these most viewed content in the years that were uh, where it was released, that the likelihood that the people, that people in the United States had to have at least been exposed to it, the likelihood is higher than any other porn video of that year, mm -hmm. that the likelihood of you being exposed to that is very high. And then doing that over a 50-year time frame where I could just go, this is... I can show have been the most viewed content from 1970 to 2020. And by it being the most viewed content in the United States by the year that it was released from 1970 to 2020, this has the highest likelihood that it has not only been seen, but it is known by everybody. And not necessarily everybody, but whether you have personally seen it or second to at most third degree have been influenced by it. It has been part of our public consciousness that it's like finding out that everybody saw a movie that never had a release date or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or everybody went and saw, like it's, it's like everybody went and saw the best picture of the year and nobody is talking about the name of the picture or where they saw it, or what was in the movie, or anything like that. It's fascinating to me. And so if everybody has seen these things, not everybody, but like a minimum of 60 million people, minimum 60 million in the year that it was released, if a minimum of 60 million people have been viewing this in the United States in this year, then what are they seeing? And that is what I look into. That is my motivator. That is the thing I'm just looking at. And that's just the first step, which is a first step of a thousand step process until I can finally start asking and answering, well, then what are they learning? Because <laughs> I need to first prove what is there to show what can be learned. 
but everybody just assumes that pornography is people are learning from it. All right, that was the end of part one of this special two-part episode. If you'd like to listen to more about Farnosh's research, her conclusions, and her additional projects, check out part two of this episode that is already available. And while you're at it, please don't forget to give us a nice five-star ranking on your podcasting app or write us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. And then, see you in the next part.